Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. This reading comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 to 13. When I think of all this, I... Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know, God gave me the special responsibility of extending His grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God Himself revealed His mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. And this is the God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people. He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please, don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Good morning and uh, welcome again to Mooney Ponds Baptist Church. One year ago, who would have thought that being allowed to move around in a 25 kilometer radius and have one household visit per day would feel like freedom, but it does. Somehow or other, after several months worth of not being able to really see each other, we're now in the position where we can just carefully, slowly, safely be able to get to the point of seeing each other. And hopefully, we will soon be able to meet together as a church again too. And that's just one thing to keep praying about. Today, it's my privilege to bring to you the Word of God from Ephesians. 
And uh, I have to say that it's, a, it's an interesting passage. And going through this, it takes some deep thinking. And I'll be talking more about this shortly. But before I get into it, the question I've got for you, I've got a few questions, actually. What do you think of church? What do you think of church? Now, really, I'm, I'm asking the question, really. What do you think of church in your heart of hearts? A bit boring? Maybe. A lot boring? Nice fellowship? Good company? Inoffensive? There's all sorts of possible answers. So you might love it. It's an interesting question. So I want you to pop that one into your head as we go, before we go into this passage. And the second question is like it, is where is your relationship with God at? Where is it at? Is it invigorating in the core of your life? Is it something you keep in the closet? Where, where is it really, really at? I'd ask that you just pop these questions into your head and uh, keep them in mind as we go through um, this fantastic book of Ephesians or this chapter in Ephesians. Now, Ephesians is a book that takes time and focus. And that's pretty difficult when we're living in an age of instant gratification. You see, in the 21st century, we become experts on anything with quick web search. Look at how many people have become instant epidemiologists and virologists over the past few months. We can watch an online video and we can know so much. Don't have to leave the experience, we'll just watch a video about it. We can read an opinion piece in the news and rapidly form very strong opinions. We are now, in the 21st century, information-rich in a way that humanity has never been before. And there's not very many things you can say about this. So there's lots of things about life that you can say are the same as they were for much of time, for all of time. But our access to information is completely unprecedented. I remember going to a library and having to learn how to use a library and to find information. You had to get the encyclopedia or the specialist knowledge book and understand the difference between fiction and non-fiction. But now, you want to know anything, it is on the World Wide Web. Of course, there is a little problem with that, which is... Not all of the information on the World Wide Web is actually accurate. Not all of the information on the World Wide Web is useful. In fact, a lot of it is actually the opposite of useful and the opposite of accurate. So there's a bit of a challenge there because the challenge has no longer become getting access to information, but learning how to make use of the information and turning it into knowledge or wisdom. Because despite all of the information richness, we are not more unified as people. We have relationship breakdowns at a frightening rate. At a personal level, 
We still like to boast. We still like to position ourselves and think we're better than someone else. Everything's a point of comparison. We react, or in the modern terms, we get triggered. We are affronted by the idea of being unimportant. My opinion matters. And we're certainly, certainly not wanting to be anyone's servant. And this is something that affects me, it affects you. We're all a part of this. This is the modern world. This is where we are at. And it's great in so many ways because with we have so much confidence in everything that we do. And yet it's sad in other ways because there is always that sense of superficiality and even of loss of what has gone before. You know, my first reaction to this passage in Ephesians 3, when I was asked by Ian to preach on it, actually wasn't great. I looked at the passage and went, oh, you know, it it lacks punch. Where's the the direction and what can I just take away from it? Oh, wow, how do I actually get interested and into this passage? It's, it's, It's wordy. It's where is he? What is he getting at? And I have to say, it was like, oh man, what am I going to do? How am I going to really dig into it? But fortunately, Ian gave me a couple of weeks to be able to dig in and to really look into the passage. I've got a couple of scriptures to share with you that just really helped me to make sure that I could understand what God was saying to me so that I could share this with you. In Ephesians 5, in verse 11... The Bible says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of dead and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. You see, God wants us as Christians to not go, whoa, i just come to a knowledge of Christ. I believe in salvation. That's it. I'm saved. There's nothing more. In fact, he wants us to be curious to dig in. And that first step, that first little piece of the knowledge of God, it's the appetizer. It's not the main course. It's certainly not the dessert. We, in the meal of life, need to learn that there is so much more to learn. There is so much more to dig into, to be curious about, and God wants us to be curious. In Ephesians chapter 4, sorry, in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 12, the Bible says, For the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything, everything, I'm emphasizing that, is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You see, so this helped to refine my approach towards Ephesians, understanding God, God's saying, here's some solid food. And this has relevance to your life. And if I'm not seeing that, it might be an issue of my heart and my maturity. It's a thought to bear in mind as we dig in. Now, as you will have heard from Ian as he's opened up uh, on the preaching, uh, there's a, the primary message of Ephesians in many ways is we are one in Christ. Get on with each other. Now, this, this really is the core message. Now, obviously, there's a lot of depth to it, but the message is about different takes and understandings on unity. And this is as relevant now as it ever was. There's also a bit of an irony in this. And the irony is that some biblical scholars have gone down and vigorously debated whether Paul even wrote Ephesians. And, uh, you know, needless to say, when you do dig into it, the evidence is abundant that he did. But it's amazing how the nature, our human nature kicks in. And at every level, we want to find something to distinguish on, to separate on, and sometimes even to argue about. But this passage in Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 1 to 13 is all about following on from the message of humility in Ephesians 2 that Ian spoke about last week. And now we get to look at a powerful example of humility in action in the life of Paul. If, you, if I read this passage superficially, I can miss the confronting power of what Paul is saying, of his testimony, of his insight and his experience. Let's go through it. See, in this passage, Paul is turning the attention of the Ephesians and of us to his own story, having talked about the, the, the general experience of bringing the Gentiles and the Jews together in Christ no longer separated by sin, race, status, or all the other sort of stuff that divides. And he's bringing their attention to his own story. And in the process, he reminds us of the sense of awe, of privilege, of wonder and amazement that should rightly be in our minds in having a relationship with God. See, when I asked earlier about your relationship with God, did you think awe, privilege, wonder, amazement? That it, you know, is that the experience of it? See, it's, I think about this in the context of marriage, and later on in Ephesians, Paul certainly draws the parallel between our relationship with Christ and marriage and the relationship with my wife. You go back to the, the beginning and you go, whoa, how is she really interested in me? 
How is it possible that we have this special relationship? And what is the secret to maintaining any relationship, any healthy relationship? Is it not to remember how fortunate you are to have it? Isn't it the beginning of the end in some way when you begin to say, I'm sick of this person, they no longer do it for me? But when you begin, when you step back, you go, wow, how lucky am I? What an incredible thing to have this special relationship. I am in awe that my wife is interested in me. Now, the theme of Paul's story here is about the secret being revealed. A secret. He uses this Greek word, mysterion. And this word mysterion, translated as mystery in the NIV, is used four times in the first seven seven verses of the passage. So he's really emphasizing something here. There's a secret, there's a mystery that is being revealed. And Again, I have to say, what's so mysterious about the gospel? Don't we all know it? Isn't the gospel sort of straightforward? Well, part of the mystery is obviously the amazing fact that someone loves us so much, no matter what we've done, that they will accept us and more than that, do anything for us. That's part of the mystery and that's the story of Christ who knows us all individually, inside out, the worst of the worst of what we have done and thought and said and still says, I'm here for you, I died for you, I love you, I want to help you change. But there's also the, the, the broader mystery, which we're going to get into. So in verses 1 to 5 of this passage, Paul talks about how he is a prisoner for the gospel, making the secret of God available to all. And he's talking about his personal experience. He talks about the fact of this incredible secret being about how people are one in Christ, regardless of culture, background, gender, economic status. He says this is the secret, the amazing experience of God. But he also talks about it from the point of view of being a prisoner. Not in the sense of experiencing a COVID-19 lockdown, but because he's under arrest for preaching the gospel. He's being taken to Rome and he's awaiting a trial because of preaching the gospel. You see, that is the context in which Paul is talking to the Ephesians. He talks on in verse 5 about how it was not made known to other generations before us. It's sometimes hard for us to think about anything outside of our own lives. And yet our own lives, in the context of the sweep of history, even just the history of humanity, are just here today and gone tomorrow. The Bible says we're like grass in the field that grows up and withers away and dies. That's not the way we like to think about ourselves. We like to think we're permanent. A lot of people like to think they're eternally youthful. But the reality is that the history of humanity is hundreds upon hundreds of generations of people. And that most of those generations were before Christ. 
You see, there's many years of human history before Christ. No matter which way you reckon the count of history, there are more years before than there have been after so far. Many more. And for so many generations, the knowledge of God was a glimpse. It was seen through a veil. Even for the Jews who had the scriptures of the Old Testament, it was through a veil. And for the people who did not, for the rest of the world who weren't the chosen people of God to bear the Saviour, well, you know, it was really only being able to remember the echoes of what they had heard from before and to see what was in nature. It was all just a glimpse of God. So Paul goes on and in verse 7, I'll I'll go there just to make sure that we are um, got it fresh in our mind. And in verse 7, he says some interesting things. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Now, this is, this is humility right here. Paul, this great apostle, this apostle who wrote m- m- the majority or a significant number of the books of the New Testament by which we know the testimony of Christ today. This person who had the revelation of God, who was converted by the personal intervention of Jesus on the road to Damascus. He says, you know, I've become a servant of the gospel by the gift of God. I'm a servant. I'm only here to serve. This is a challenge for me to think of myself as a servant, not as someone important, not as someone who, you know, I need to be heard. No, I'm a servant. I'm a servant of the gospel. And if Paul was a servant of the gospel, how much more can we, do we also need to see that we are servants? And it's a privilege to, talk, to preach and to talk about the riches of Christ. It's a privilege to share the knowledge of the secret. See, even though Paul ended up in prison and he was very likely killed for his preaching, he maintained this perspective of like, how lucky am I? How lucky am I? How fortunate How privileged, how blessed am I to be in this wonderful, wonderful position? He goes on. He says to preach about to the Gentiles in verse 8 about the boundless riches of Christ. And in verse 9, to make plain to to everyone the administration of this mystery, again, mysterion, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So one of the questions I asked earlier, I said, what do you think about church? And it's an interesting one. 
Because whenever we think about church, we often, quite rightly, think about church in the context of our relationships to each other. And it's true. Our relationships with each other are crucially important. Through that love for each other, we learn about love from God and for God. It's absolutely true. But, you know, the church is so much more than this. The church, according to Scripture, is making known the wisdom of God not to flesh and blood, not to just the people around us, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. There's a parallel here to in Ephesians 6.12 where Paul talks about the idea of our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and powers in the heavenly realms. Now, once again, I find this hard. By nature, I don't like this mystical stuff. I think, give me hard-edged reality. And so, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to deal with this sort of, you know, sort of spiritual mumbo-jumbo. But, you know, the fact is, this reality we're living in is actually a shadow of spiritual reality. We're living in a reflection of the spiritual. What we think is real is actually, relatively speaking, insubstantial compared to the spiritual reality. Many of you will know, I like the writings of C.S. Lewis, and he put this so well. This mystery, this is actually that, that somehow or other we get trapped into thinking that our present lives, those short little withering green grass shoots coming up and then withering away just a few years later, we think that they are the substance, but they're not the substance. They're just a very brief moment in time for our reality of our life with God. The spiritual is more real and is more permanent. The physical is a copy and it will pass away. And this is a perspective shift where we, li- we, we lift and our thinking or we deepen our understanding so that we say that, you know, salvation, forgiveness of sins is, is, a, is a step on a journey. It's getting on an elevator, but the elevator is going somewhere. And in the process of going somewhere, we get to see sights and hear things and understand things on this journey of life in a way that is far better than we could ever have thought of before. We can learn about what heaven is. We can learn about the meaning of life. We can get insights into the mind of God. The wonder of the universe he created, when we look out on it and we sit there and we go, wow, look at this. And you can look at it and get an understanding of what stars and the solar system and everything is about. When we look, and then we go zooming into the micro world and get an understanding of biology and cells and genes. And it's just a, it's a wondrous excitement that people feel when they actually understand things at a new level. And all of those things are glimpses into the mind of God who created them. And God wants us to understand that. He wants us to do that. You see, the challenge for us is to get that fresh eye, childlike perspective that we can see it so clearly. And then we can see that this church, that every church, is ultimately a testimony not only to humanity, but also to the enemies of God, to those rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms that God wants us to be made known to.
Amazing stuff. Absolutely amazing. Think about in verse 12, he goes on. It says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Freedom and confidence. You see, Jesus, he's our Lord, but he's also our brother and our friend. He understands us. He understands temptation. You know, we're not living with a God who is distant and handing down rules and does not understand what we're going through in a fallen world. We're worshipping a God who said, I'm going to come down and walk with you and experience your life, experience these temptations. I live the example of the perfect life. (laughs) Amazing. He understands us. And he wants us to understand him. He wants you to understand him. There are no barriers. There needs to be no barriers. Our sin is taken away through his finished work on the cross, as we will share in communion shortly. The no barriers to love, no barriers to understanding, no barriers whatsoever between each other. No barriers. None of the things that divide us. Age, gender, all these things. All these things. It's so sad at times to see the world dividing on such ridiculous things, such trivialities. How can people divide on that? And the reason is because those forces, those those spiritual battle, they're wanting us to focus on these things. And we've got to shift our mind out from humanity and think about God's purpose and that unity. And that's what's so exciting in the church. We look at it and we see people talk about diversity. But it's not really diversity. It's a recognition that any of the things that are different are just variations on a theme and are so minor in comparison to the things that we have in common. See, he finishes up in this passage. He says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are, your glory, which are for your glory. And Paul is saying here that there's no need to be discouraged in suffering for Christ. When we share the gospel, we may be persecuted, but it's a privilege not to be persecuted, obviously. I guess it's, you know, that's pretty rugged. But it's a privilege to have the gospel and the weight of the privilege out so far outweighs, or the, the size of the privilege so far outweighs the burden of the persecution. That it's, it's, it's a triviality. In Matthew 5, 11 to 12, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, Jesus is telling us very plainly, and that's right in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, the same thing that Paul was living out. And the same thing that we are also called to live out. That's something that I find challenging. I I have to say, I don't want to be persecuted. I want to be liked. I don't want to hold unpopular opinions. But it's the calling. And the truth of the matter is, is it not better to hold an unpopular opinion that is right and true 
and to help other people along the way. You see, before I became a Christian, I thought I was knowledgeable. I thought I was smart. I thought that I had a degree and I was in IT and everything was good. But everything that I knew was so superficial and lacking in the substance of being able to get me towards what I really wanted in life. Relationships of substance, trust, confidence, love, all of those things. So hard to obtain. Awesome when you have them, but somehow hard to hold on to. But through the gospel, we can learn how. We can learn how to make them permanent, how they become an eternal part of our life. And there's a choice that every one of us has to make. And it's a choice that Paul has confronted us with in this story, in this account of his own life. And it's where do we see ourselves in relation to Jesus? Are we keen? Are we willing to dig in to the mysterion, to the secrets of God, to learn about what he wants from us? It's a great challenge. It's to not sit there and live in the past. It's to not sit there and go, I've just, I've gained enough at that moment of salvation. It's the quest of always being a learner, of going onwards and upwards until one day we reach that perfect unity with Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so, so much for your incredible wisdom. I apologise to you, Lord, for my own heart towards your scriptures, looking and going, well, what's in this? I don't understand. But Lord, you have opened our eyes. You have helped us to understand. You have given us insight through what you have provided in your word. More than that, you've given us love. You've given us value. You've given us purpose. You've taught us that the things that put up barriers between us and you or put barriers between each one of us and each other, they're flimsy, they're insubstantial, they're easy to wipe away when we set our eyes entirely on you. Help us, Lord, every single one of us to do that. That even though right now we are not meeting together, that, Lord, that we will set our eyes on you and be happy to be servants of the gospel wherever that may take us, whatever that may require of us, and to love learning and growing in you. We pray for this world around us, Father, a world that is full of knowledge, full of information, but so often lacking in the understanding of you and of what life is all about. Help us, Lord, to carry a message as servants, certainly not as people who are better than anyone else, but as servants to serve and to love others with the message of the gospel of grace that you've given us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.